Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to episode 30 of The Pennsylvania Project. As you may know, here at The Pennsylvania Project, our vision is a better Pennsylvania. To achieve that vision, our mission is to boldly showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing contemporary Pennsylvania, and to relentlessly pursue correct solutions. But more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. That sounds like something out of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, doesn't it? Speaking of which, the theme of today's episode is Life, the University, and Everything. And like all episodes of the Pennsylvania Project, it's divided into three parts. You, them, and me. Part one is all about you, your questions, your opinions, your solutions, your whatevers. And rather than a call-in format, we are an email-in format. So if you have something to say, you can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com. And you can always listen there, too, or on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast provider. Today, for the you part, there is yet another question about primary elections, one about stop-and-frisk searches by the police in Philadelphia, and one about yet another law named after a crime victim. This time, it's Marcy's Law. After that, part two is all about them. Each episode, we host a guest to help us showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. Our guest today is actually two guests. And the topics I'm guessing are gonna be mostly cultural, maybe a little political, maybe a dash of environmental, we'll see. Our guests are Anna Egan Hess and Ariel Kamen, students at Drexel University in Philadelphia, and both members of the Toastmasters Club, by the way. After that comes part three of the Pennsylvania Project, the me part, where it'll be my turn. Your caster, Ken Krawchuk. I'll be focusing on some particular issue that really sticks in my craw. Today, I'm going to talk about yet another ill-conceived do-gooder law. And throughout the show, defying our recently established custom, we're going to be featuring three, count them, three Pennsylvania Toastmasters. First Toastmaster will be serving as narrator as usual to read our live commercials. Today's narrator is also a member of the Drexel University Toastmasters Club in Philadelphia, Liam Cummings. Welcome to the Pennsylvania Project, Liam. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. Let me ask you a quick question. You're a Toastmaster. What do you like about Toastmasters? What do I like about Toastmasters? Well, the best thing about Toastmasters for me is I noticed that in my goings-on about life, in my professional life, in my personal life, I've been able to pay attention more to the way that I'm speaking, and speaking just becomes easier for me. Like, for example, I went to a career fair at Drexel just to about two or three weeks ago, and normally everything is awkward. It's, it's, I just go away from those career fairs feeling awful, and this time around it was a lot better, and I think I owe a lot to the way Toastmasters prepa- prepares me for speaking to people. I would agree. I gained a lot of confidence with Toastmasters, and I know a lot of people are pretty annoyed with that fact. I gotta add, our oldest daughter, Melanie, went through Toastmasters, and she came back with this extra confidence, and I thought, oh, no, what did I do to myself? <laughs> okay. Anyway, as I mentioned, we have two other Toastmasters with us today, and not only will these two help read and respond to whatever comes into our mailbag, that's a role that I call cohort, but I guess today we have co-cohorts. They're also our guests today, and they're members of Drexel Toastmasters as well. Anna, aforementioned Anna and Ariel, both have been here on Pennsylvania Project before. Anna was here on episode 23, and Ariel way back on episode 9, and more recently on episode 25. 
Welcome back to the Pennsylvania Project, ladies. Thanks for having us, Ken. Uh Yeah, glad to be here. Oh, you guys did a great job last time. Anna, why did you come back? Why would you do this again? Oh, who knows, really? I I don't know. I had a good time last time. Uh, That's for sure. It's always a good time, and it goes really quickly. But Ariel, third one. You were our first cohort, and now here you are, cohort again. You're the first repeat cohort. I'm honored. Honored. We're the ones who are honored. What do, you th- what do you think about the whole thing? There is really something about sitting here and wearing these headphones and feeling really official. I dressed the part today, put on a collared shirt. <laughs> I think you give me an opportunity to get into a very unique character and uh, I really appreciate it. And I think this is a great opportunity for all of us. Uh, that's so why seriously, I, thanks for having us. I would why, agree with that, yeah. That's why I'm here. If, if I can give back to Toastmasters what Toastmasters has given me, I'm more than happy. All right, let's move on. Let's dig into that mailbag. And remember, our mission here is not just to complain, but to explore solutions. What do we got, ladies? Our first question is from Tracy Freeman from New Riggled, Pennsylvania. She says, Hi, Ken. I am a registered libertarian and was not allowed to vote in the last primary. That, sir, is not right, and the two-party system must go. What's the point of being in a third party when you can't even vote? That seems so wrong. Too true, Tracy. But it's also true that it is definitely legal to prevent you from voting. That's because you're not a member of one of the two old parties. And that's the purpose of their primary election is for them to choose their candidates. Since it's their party, only their party members get to choose. They call it a closed primary system. Some states have open primaries where anybody can vote for anybody regardless of party affiliation, and obviously Pennsylvania is not one of them. But, you know, they're trying to change that even as we speak or as I speak. There are two bills in there, Senate Bill 300, House Bill 192. They're companion bills, and their stated purpose is, quote, to allow unaffiliated voters to participate in either the Democratic or Republican primary election. Well, personally, I'm against taxpayer-funded primaries. I ranted about that way back in episode four. You can go back and listen to it, but let me recap briefly. That way you don't have to go back and dig through the old episodes. I mentioned three reasons back then why bills like these and these opening of primaries is bad for Pennsylvania. Three reasons. One, it deliberately bars certain voters from, from voting, like you and me, Tracy. It deliberately destroys your right to live your life your way. And number three, it allows special interests to milk the taxpayers, which is never good. Let me touch on those briefly, one at a time. Does it deliberately bar certain voters from voting? Absolutely. The bills both say it allows independent or non-party voters to vote. That's about 8% of the electorate. But what it does not allow is the 5% of us who are registered with other parties. It doesn't allow us to vote in their primaries. So we libertarians, even under these two bills, we'd be barred from competing So rather than calling it an open primaries bill, I call it persecute the opposition because they're trying to shut us up. So the bills are bad for democracy because they prevent certain people from voting, specifically we the opponents of those two old parties. Number two, does it deliberately destroy your right to live your life your way? Yes. Because think of it this way. Should total strangers tell you how to run your life? Of course not. It's not right. Like, for example, should Ford shareholders dictate who runs General Motors? No, wouldn't be fair. Well, then why would somebody outside of the two old parties be able to dictate who their candidates are? 
And there's also from the other side, from the two old party side. If you're a member of one of those two old parties, would you want non-members picking your candidates? Would you want libertarians picking your candidates or Green Party people? I thought that's what the November elections were for. I could see certain people making trouble just by voting for the worst possible candidate, just to torpedo your elections. So you see, the bills are bad for the right of political organizations to run their own lives their own way. Number three, does it allow special interest to milk the taxpayers? Yes. And not just the bills, but also the entire primary election process. Well, think of it this way. Should you be forced to pay for your neighbor's lifestyle? Well, you may not agree with it. Of course, you shouldn't have to pay for it. But that's exactly what primary elections do. I don't agree with Democrats or Republicans. But they force people like you and me who do not belong to their organization to pay for their elections. $20 million a year. $20 million taxpayer dollars to fund a private organization's beauty contest. Why? 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 People are shaking their heads. I don't know why. Because they can. Because they control the purse strings. Because they vote. They decide to do it. And we libertarians, we're different. We pick our candidates at our own expense, at our own conventions. Why shouldn't they do the same? Why don't we just cut the funding? That was one of my planks when I was running for governor. I was going to use the line item veto to defund primary elections. But isn't that where it starts, in the primaries? For the two old parties, yes. But for us, it start, us, we libertarians, it starts at our convention. So when I was running for governor, I went to the convention with my supporters, and I had to beat down the opposition. <laughs> so is there a loophole to these, this structure that we're currently in? Yeah, it's called veto. Okay. <laughs> it's called change the law. <laughs> no, there's no way around it. You can go as a writing candidate in November. But that's notoriously difficult to do. Not many writing candidates win. But you can give it a shot. I've gone as a writing candidate, and I, I have not won. But that's more of a reflection of me than it is on the process. <laughs> All right, what else we got? Stephen Foley writes, Hello, I am contacting you since I've been reading about Philly the Philly mayoral race and the still ongoing stop and frisk controversy. I'd like to point out how other cities and states have passed what are known as informed consent laws to tone down this type of aggressive policing. A consent search is a search where the police officer has neither probable cause to arrest nor reasonable suspicion to frisk, but merely asks a person for consent to search. Informed consent requires an officer to inform a person of their rights to refuse a search before performing such search. Most notably, New York City has recently passed the Right to a No Act. Also, the state of Colorado has passed an informed consent search law, as did several other cities in North Carolina, as well as Columbia, Missouri. Informed consent laws make it less likely that a police officer will either perform a stop and frisk or escalate a traffic stop, remove some of the tricky inherent in such searches, and will improve police community relations. Mm -hmm. Also, since this is a Fourth Amendment issue, bipartisanship support can also be can often be developed for such laws. Personally, I am against consent searches. I feel criminal procedure as it relates to police investigatory stops and as decided by the Supreme Court have become something of a general warrant. The founders of this country fought the Revolutionary War against such search warrants. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to see local governments pass some laws to better define police-civilian interaction and do more to protect individual rights, and I feel it is well within the power of local government to do so. Agreed. Stefan, I love the idea. It's just the sort of thing we strive to come up with here at the Pennsylvania Project, that kind of a solution. 
His background, for those who aren't aware of it, stop and frisk is a police policy of stopping anyone they want at any time and searching them for any reason or no reason at all. Clearly unconstitutional. And I don't quote the Fourth Amendment to the United States. This is Pennsylvania. We're part of the republic. We're a sovereign state. We have Article 1, Section 7 of the Pennsylvania Constitution, which says, quote, the people shall be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and possessions from unreasonable searches and seizures, and no warrant to search any place or seizure of any person or things shall be issued without describing them as nearly as may be, nor without probable cause. It's plain, it's plain and simple in the Constitution. How do they get away with it? I have no idea. Probably the same way they get away with the primaries. But Stefan's idea of these informed consent laws, I think that definitely solves the correct problem, which is protecting the innocent and protecting our constitutional rights. And it's also the correct solution for keeping, keeping tyrannical cops at bay. And not all cops are tyrannical, by the way. I've been through the police academy. Mm-hmm. And it's a simple, plain old common decency to ask permission before you start groping someone. It would be nice to take him out to dinner and a movie first, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Of course, I bet the cops would oppose that, informed consent. How can we catch the bad guys, I bet they say. We need to treat the innocent people as guilty first. Well, then why not just go house to house with warrantless searches? Think of all the bad guys you can catch that way. Why not? Why shouldn't we do that? Well, it's unconstitutional. That why. That's why. And, and so is stop and frisk. To repeat, how do they get away with it? I have no idea. But Stefan, that's a great, great alternative. In the courts, can they pull out that handy-dandy blue manual? (laughs) That is the spine of our show right now. They could. They could, but they don't. Uh, I ranted about that. Oh, I couldn't tell you how many episodes. I did six or seven of on the court system. I'm taking a look right here. I have my... My list of things. Oh, I, I can't even find them all. I have to redo my my list of topics that we talked about. Here we go. Judges. I, they stuck in my craw in episode 16. Juries. Jury duty was in episode 17, and I stuck in my craw in episode 13. Just The whole justice system. There's three of them in a row. Stuck in my craw in episode 13. Stuck in my craw in episode 16. And our guest talked about it in episode 17. I, they can, but they don't. And I'm looking for a solution to that. Why? How can we make our judges pay attention to the Constitution? Because when the judges don't pay attention, what do we do? What can we do? I don't know. Our next question is from Steve Sheets from Langhorne, Pennsylvania. And he asks, what do you think about Marcy's Law? Oh, no. Not another law named for the victim. We did Deanna's Law in episode 22, Paul's Law in episode 18, and now here comes Marcy's Law. For those who don't know, and I count myself among them until I heard Steve's question, I had never heard of Marcy's Law, which is surprising because it's a proposed amendment to the Constitution that'll be on the ballot. I took a quick look at it, and it was bad, 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 bad. Did I say bad? It's bad. And I have so much to say about it that I'm dedicating today's rant about it because it really sticks in my craw. So stay tuned. We're going to be doing it a little bit. And on that teaser note, that's going to have to do it for the you portion of episode 30. We're going to pause for this information. And when we return, we're going to be visiting with today's guests, Drexel University students Anna Egan-Hess and Ariel Kamen. Did you hear the latest news? 
Almost two-thirds of all federal spending now goes to pay for the welfare state. More than $2.2 trillion, which just about equals federal income. Do you realize what that means? Virtually all tax revenue is now being consumed by the welfare state. But how do we rein in that runaway spending before it destroys America? The answer? The separation of society and state. That's the premise of the new novel, Atlas Snubbed, an unsanctioned parody sequel to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Snubbed presents a workable alternative to the welfare state as we know it. Atlas Snubbed expertly extends Rand's epic story of a looter's world snubbed by the men of the mind, bringing to life a crumbling post-apocalyptic world where no one need ask who is John Galt, because now they know. Atlas Snubbed, available at all online bookstores or through atlassnubbed.com. Read it today before it's too late. Here's an interesting question. What do you think of these three ideas? Number one, people have at all times an inalienable right to alter, reform, or abolish their government as they think proper. Number two, juries shall have the right to determine the law as well as the facts. Number three, the right of the citizens to bear arms in defense of themselves and the state shall not be questioned. Do those words sound like there's something taken from a Hollywood political thriller? Well, they're not. They're all direct quotes taken from Article 1 of the Pennsylvania Constitution. Everyone's heard of the United States Constitution, but have you ever heard of the Pennsylvania Constitution? Have you ever read it? Most importantly, was it ever taught to you in school? If you're like virtually all Pennsylvanians, the answers are likely to be no, no, and no. Well, it's a long past time we've changed those answers to yes, yes, and yes, and you have to be a crucial part to play in making that come to pass. As you know, we here at the Pennsylvania Project are all about solutions, so we've authored a petition to demanding that the Pennsylvania Constitution be taught to our children. It's up on our website, pennsylvaniaproject.com. If you believe it's important for our children to know how our state government works, please add your name to the growing list of signers. And every time we accumulate another batch of signatures, We'll send a copy of the petition to the governor, the Pennsylvania Board of Education, and each and every one of the 501 school districts in Pennsylvania, asking them right now to start teaching our children the Pennsylvania Constitution. So please, sign the petition at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Do it now while it's at the top of your mind. Get your friends to sign it, your neighbors, your co-workers. The alternative is yet another generation that has never heard of, let alone read, the Pennsylvania Constitution. And people wonder why no one votes anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely true. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and welcome to the them portion of episode 30 of the Pennsylvania Project. I was going to say Constitution. (laughs) Where we host a guest to help us showcase political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. Today we have double trouble because we have two guests most likely it's going to be cultural, but knowing these two, I'll bet you we're going to wander into other areas. In alphabetical order, our guests are Anna Egan Hess, a biology major with a concentration in pathobiology and a minor in public health, and Ariel Kamen, which is a much shorter major, nursing, easier <laughs> to say. Ladies, welcome to the Pennsylvania Project. Thanks again. Yes, yes, thank you. Well, as I said at the top of the show, the theme today is going to be life, the university, and everything. So I wanted to talk initially about university life, and I was thinking that we should probably be either texting or tweeting this whole interview. Or live streaming it. Oh, there you go. I guess we're kind of live streaming it, right? We're going out over the air. 
and we are recording the video. It's going to wind up on, on YouTube. So what's it like in college these days? Back when I was in college, it was in the 70s. We had the Vietnam War that we brought to an end. We ended the draft. We won the sexual revolution. <laughs> got, we got rid of Richard Nixon. I mean, we had all kinds of things. What are you guys doing? A lot of conversation that I have with my friends about college itself is how much none of us can actually afford it. Oh, man. And how we are just living in debt day by day, and it grows exponentially each day. Ex I did the math. I worked 12-hour shifts, uh -huh. and I would have to work 370 shifts to pay one year's worth of my student debt. And how many shifts do you do in a year? Probably about 200? Three days a week times 52. I didn't do that math. 156. Quick maths. Yeah, you're, you're sinking. I don't even have enough days in a year <laughs> to work. Oh, man. And you're in the same situation, Anna? Yeah. I, I also go to a school where I have to pay tuition. Oh, man. Yeah, I think it was episode 19. We had on Mark Bizzacco, who is a steam fitter in the union. And they're dying for people. They will train you for free, and you'll have a high-paying union job, and you'll start day one without any student debt. Just well, that's that route. Yeah, that's true. The route that I'm taking, although it's a bit pricey, I think being able to be here today and advocate for this proves that it's worth working 370 shifts. Uh-huh. What about... You know, you got people like Bernie Sanders, and pardon me for talking federal issues. He's talking about, and also Bernie, who's one of our regular contributors here on the show. I don't know where Bernie's at these days. Talking about free college. Wouldn't free college be cool? When do we do it? I'm looking at my list here. We did on episode eight in the mailbag, episode 17 in the mailbag. So that's twice we mentioned it. And I had the same question both times. Well, it's not free because who pays for it? What do you guys think about free college? Well, it would definitely make going to college easier. Uh-huh. You know, there's the same thing about the universal, universal, what do they call that? Where they give everybody, everybody Universal money. basic income. Yeah, universal oh, yeah. basic income. They found that it had absolutely no effect on the various things they were trying to do, like stimulate business or anything like that. They found it affected nothing except one thing. The people who got it were happier. Yeah. <laughs> but isn't happiness important, Ken? Yeah, but remember, you're, you're taxing the, the taxpayers. So you're taking money from people in the inner cities who just got their first job, from students who are on co-op, something like that. You're taking it from senior citizens who are trying to get by on a fixed income in their house. Is it worth robbing all those people to pay for free education, quote-unquote free education? But isn't education the backbone to our entire society? Ah, How it, can we run a society without educated people who are able to communicate and share ideas and research issues and research ways to either prevent or cure those issues? Mm -hmm. The same question came up in episode one, all the way back in the very beginning of the Pennsylvania Project. And the answer is still the same. Education is not necessarily that boxy building you go to every day. There's education everywhere. There are... Well, let me give you an example. When my dad was, was your, when my dad was your age, <laughs> he was an apprentice at the Bud Company. 
and they taught him how to do machine, tool and die machine. He wound up as a, he made jet aircraft parts. He was a tool and die craftsman. He didn't pay a dime for that education. In fact, they paid him because it was an apprentice program. They, they said, yep, you've got promise. Come on in. We're going to teach you all this stuff. Boeing does this today. Boeing can't get enough mechanics. They can't get enough pilots. So they go to the colleges and they look for people that they can train. And they pay it. But back in terms of the college being free, I know a lot of people are, or at least might be familiar with Finland claiming to have free education for all. But I was looking into it because that seems great. Why can't we adopt that from them? But what it turns out to actually be is the government giving students grants. And where is this grant money coming from? The taxes. The taxes. Stealing so it again. They're like the top five country with the highest taxes. Uh huh. Do you know, you know what happens with a tax dollar? Tell me everything. I'll tell you everything. <laughs> oh, and I'm gonna, since the camera's running, I'm going to show you this too. I'm reaching into my wallet and I'm pulling out a Federal Reserve note, a one dollar bill. Do you know what happens when you send a dollar bill to Washington? The first thing that happens is the majority. I ripped it in half. The majority of it, actually it's two-thirds, majority vanishes into the bureaucracy. And this is what comes back to the states. But the state has their own bureaucracy as well. You're lucky if you get a dime on the dollar back from what you send as a taxpayer. And then when they do send it, it doesn't go to you or your program. It goes to their political buddies. They play politics with your money. Why? Why would I want to give taxpayer money to do these things. If you kept that, that money locally, you could help 10 times as many people, get 10 times as many homeless fed. You could buy 10 times as many school books. You could bribe 10 times as many judges. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> they don't do that with tax. They do do that with taxpayer money. But that's another story. They did that with the kicking Carl Romanelli off the ballot, a green guy. They kicked him off the ballot, fined him $80,000, and it was, they didn't have a good reason for kicking him off. And we found out it was all done with taxpayer dollars. Don't get me started. Nothing can be free. Correct. You can't even cross state borders without paying the easy pass toll. Well, no, you can go from Pennsylvania to New Jersey because they're one-way tolls. You have, really? to, you have to pay to get out of New Jersey. I pay both ways when I drive back and forth. In Jersey? From New Jersey. No, the, the toll bridges, are, they're all one-way tolls from, between Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Hmm. You know, people have asked me when I was running for governor, what am I going to do about immigration? I said, I think we should keep the bridges to New Jersey open. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do a, a sticks in my craw about New Jersey real soon. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, I think I'll do that next week. Because He's our, baiting you. <laughs> I know. Our, our cohort next week is from New Jersey, and I think I'm going to do that. You're just jealous. <laughs> oh, uh, the best state in the United States. Do you know? I'm defending I, next week's cohort. I was on... A, on Comcast, CN8, on one of their shows, Lynn Doyle show, and I was debating a New Jersey state senator. And in order to, to brush up on that, I read their constitution. Do you know they don't have the right to keep and bear arms? You're not allowed to have guns in New Jersey. You, you can go out to another state and buy one, but you're only allowed to bring it into your home, and you're never allowed to take it out again. That's huh. only that's because the federal constitution takes over because Jersey's constitution doesn't mention it. No, Jersey's bad. And then uh, there was that poor 20-year-old girl got beat up on the Wildwood Beach last summer. I, have, I used to go to Wildwood all the time. I refuse to go back now. There's better beaches than Wildwood. Name one. 
Long Branch. Oh, I'd never been there. Avalon, Belmar. Cooler by a mile. Avalon. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Asbury Park. You never heard of that one? Yeah, but I'm not a Bruce fan. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> All right, let's let's bring this back to the to the university and everything. One thing you always hear, libertarians complain about this one all the time, the political correctness on campus. You're not left. Oh, Anna rolls her eyes. <laughs> oh, we've had words about this before, Ken. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not. Well, as I mentioned to you the other day, I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Because you keep talking about, ah, this political correctness stuff. It's the worst thing. Uh-huh. And I genuinely have not seen people have issues expressing themselves because they're worried about being politically correct. Uh-huh. So you think it's just the media spin that they're trying to, the libertarian media spin, that they're trying to make things look worse than they really are? Well, I certainly don't think it's necessarily a libertarian media spin. Um, Ask because, a libertarian. Well, it's not just libertarians who don't like the idea of political correctness. Uh-huh. Lots of people complain about it. I, Political correctness is itself incorrect. Because doesn't that kind of strip away the freedom of speech? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely it does. Uh, you know, people, they just say, as long as they just say, I'm offended by that. Oh, now we got to be careful. Okay, I actually have beef with this whole it strips away freedom of speech thing because we have freedom of speech guaranteed in our Constitution, but that's something that the government is telling us. Right? So no, if a, it's the other way around. The Constitution secures rights that you already have. If there were well, no Constitution, you would still have the right to freedom of speech, the right to your own life. Well, sure, sure. But I'm saying that I've heard so many try, so many people try to say, you can't tell me what to say. I Have you never read the First Amendment? I have the right to free speech. Mm -hmm. But they're making that argument against some sort of private company that has told them not to say something. And uh -huh. the private company is not the government. That's right, and you can choose to abide by the private organization or leave. Like, for example, there's George Carlin's Seven Dirty Words we can't say on the air here. If you don't like that, well, don't be on the air. Go on cable, something like that. Have a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> Sam Kinison. Oh, oh, my buddy. You know, and there's some people who are like real childish about this offended stuff. Do you know in Japan, if you write on somebody's business card, they get offended? Sign it or putting your number. What are anything, you writing just on? Just writing. It? Just write anything on the business card. It's it's a it's an offense. They're offended by it in Japan, and we cater to that kind of behavior. Why are we treating grown adults like they're two year olds? Okay, I won't write on your card. Don't get me started. I feel like the whole idea of political correctness is just not saying anything that's obviously insulting people who see themselves as disadvantaged, which I agree with. I don't think that I should have to go out of my way to say something negative about somebody who already feels negative towards themselves. Uh -huh. That's not my place. That's, that's true. That, that's your choice, too. But the point is, could you? And the answer is, you should, but probably not. My guests today are Drexel University students Anna Egan Hess and Ariel Kamen. I'm your caster, Ken Krawchuk, and you're listening to The Pennsylvania Project. We'll be right back after this information. Thinking about getting your first tattoo? Maybe you're ready to add to that sleeve that you started or cover up that one regretful choice. 
Put Sam C and his team of artists at Iron Will Tattoo Club in Glenside, PA at the top of your list. The team at Iron Will has plenty of designs to choose from, and they can create an original design or work with a design that you provide. Call 267-893-7625 today to schedule your free consultation. That's 2678-WE-ROCK or visit them on Instagram at Iron Will Tattoo Club. Hey, hey everybody, Annie Egan Hess here from the Pennsylvania Project. You know, it's easy to find a high paying job, at least for some people it is. Employers are begging for competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. But do those words describe you? Competent leader, communicates effectively? If not, or even if they do, you might want to consider joining Toastmasters. The mission of Toastmasters is to provide a supportive environment for learning communication and leadership skills. But does it really work? Hey, look at me. I joined Toastmasters and now I'm on the radio. <laughs> so turn your life around like I have. Visit toastmasters.org and contact a club near you. Visitors are always welcome and be sure to mention my name. The future is anxiously awaiting competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. You can be that leader. It all starts at toastmasters.org. Are you a small business owner? Always looking for referrals? Do you have a streamlined approach to generating new referrals? Contact Stephen Worley to learn the fast, easy way to generate new referrals. Stephen has an all-inclusive system that will help you generate an extra 5 to 10 customers per week without spending a single dollar on ads. You won't have to create a website, have pictures taken, or write a single ad. Stephen will take the headache out of the process. Contact him at stephenworley.com. That's Stephen with a V, W-E-R-L-E-Y.com. Do you have the financial freedom that you imagined you would have? At AJ Financial Freedom, we are dedicated to serving you while you help you achieve your financial goals. We offer planning and investment advice on everything from college and retirement planning to a rollover 401k. Please call 866-383-6899 to learn more. The top priority at AJ Freedom Financial has always been and always will be our clients. Call AJ Freedom Financial today to talk to a qualified professional. 866-383-6899. That's 866-383-6899. AJ Freedom Financial, helping Pennsylvanians achieve financial freedom for the man. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Gradient Securities LLC member FINRA slash SIPC. Insurance products and services are offered through AJ Freedom Financial. AJ Freedom Financial is not affiliated with Gradient Securities LLC. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and we're back with episode 30 of the Pennsylvania Project. And my guests, Drexel University biology major Anna Egan Hess and nursing major major. Ariel Cayman, and they brought cookies, mm-hmm. chocolate chip cookies, even better than that. Yeah. Man, oh man. Now, we're kind of general in the beginning. I had a couple specific questions. Now, I went to high school in the late 60s, college in the early 70s, and I was right there in the heart of the drug culture. There's still drugs on campus? Yes. Uh, there will always be drugs everywhere, Ken. Like, like what? Marijuana, amphetamines, Xanax, antidepressants, psychedelics. Psychedelics? Yeah. You know, you know, when I was running for governor, I would talk about ending the drug war. And I, I was telling students, I said, what's easiest to get? 
alcohol, tobacco, or marijuana. And they don't say, oh, marijuana. Yeah, it's because the, the guy who runs the 7-Eleven is going to lose his job. The guy who runs the bar is going to lose his bar. But the guy on the corner, you know, he's got nothing to lose. But afterwards, they'd always, multiple times, they'd come up to me and they say, that's not the most common thing, marijuana. LSD, acid, was the most common. I was blown away. Metaphorically, of course. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still the same. I believe it. I'm truly afraid because I think that there are beautiful chemicals that are in these substances. You can have, uh, the psychedelics are kind of broke up in, broken up into three categories. You have the tryptamines, the phenylamines, and the lysergamides, so amines and amides. You probably know about that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, he's a chem guy, he's a chem guy. Oh, yeah, dangerous so the, chem guy. So the last one that I said was the LSD one. And I think that these chemicals, if you look into them, like I've taken chemistry classes before, even just looking at the structures of them, they're subtly different, yet I'm going to go to, or not me personally, but someone's going to go to the guy on the corner and he's not going to know which one he has. He's <laughs> handing right. them a little tab of paper. You don't know what you're putting on your tongue. That's right. You know, that's one of the nice things. I was just in one of the free states recently, Washington State, and they have free cannabis there. Not free, free. I mean, they've liberated the cannabis. Free the weed. Yeah. And on the back, I couldn't believe it, you know? I used to smoke pot in college, high school. And, and I'm looking on the back, and it's got all these different things. I have no idea what they mean, you know? I would just go to the guy in the corner. How's this stuff? Oh, it's good giggle grass or something. Like <laughs> yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's about the best that you'd get. Haven't heard giggle grass before. It's yeah. a good one. I like that. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's still out there from what I hear, too. But, you know, and this is something that I heard you mention before, is that people are scientifically illiterate in general. That is true. That as a general population, people don't know about science. And I don't think that scientifically illiterate is necessarily an insulting term. I know it sounds that way to call someone illiterate, mm -hmm. but like I had told you before, it's the vast majority of the population has not gone to school specifically for science. Mm -hmm. And that just makes you scientifically illiterate. I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, my degree is in physics. I, I just take it for granted. You know, I'll, yeah. I'll talk about how. Well, one question, what would you like to be? What object in the room? And I said, oh, I want to be a photon because that way I could be everywhere at once. Yeah. Time will stop for me. I'll be eternal. But that's, that's a whole other story there. <laughs> and we have all of this scientific knowledge at our fingertips. Yeah. Professor Google knows all. That's right. I believe that. Dr. Google knows all. But still, these drug dealers don't know what they're even giving their customers. No. Quick giggle grass. Yeah. <laughs> Now, what about the teachers there? How the, the teachers back in my day, they were, they were kind of stiff. There are there a few of them who were normal people. In fact, one of them was there at my 21st birthday party, and we were raising glasses together. <laughs> I wasn't wearing glasses at the time, but sorry, bad joke. <laughs> but I went to Catholic high school, and recently I saw the names of three priests that I had. They were on that list of pedophile priests. Do you have anything like that at Drexel? Maybe I shouldn't be asking that. I've heard of that stereotype before, but I have no personal experience with it. Uh-huh. Anna's scrunching her nose. What's, what is it? Oh, I remember someone talking about a professor dating a student at some point. Oh, that's tame. I don't know. Oh, I mean, we're not a Catholic school. Yeah, but I mean, this is, this is uh, you know, sexual contact. I had a, a pastor on, uh, as a matter of fact, it was the last episode, episode 29, and I asked him the same question. 
And he, he thought that it was improper because the student or the congregation member looks up to the person. Yeah. And, and especially when they've got a religious mantle on. God says, down on your knees or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't necessarily need to be as obvious as that. Uh-huh. If you are the, the pastor or the priest or the religious leader of a congregation, the congregation is looking up to you and they're putting you at this higher pedestal of uh-huh. that person being closer to God or understanding religion more or something. So they're going to listen to you more than they would listen to someone else. Uh-huh. And they are more prone to your influence. That's true. And I guess it really depends upon the strength of character of the, the younger person. But that's a difficult thing to ask of some people, too. But do we think that these priests and high figures are putting themselves on this pedestal? Because I'm going to bring it back to the professors. I'll, I'll tie it back into the priests and everything. The way that I see my professors, or just any professor in general, like that you have to be a master of the topic. How can you teach somebody something you don't know? So that <laughs> I had a lot of professors that didn't know what they in were doing. In general, without you know, personal biases or, or whatnot. A teacher is supposed to be the master. And I don't think a lot of my professors look at themselves like that. Uh-huh. I don't even think a lot of them really love what they're doing and really understand uh-huh. the impact that they're making. That is a crying shame. I love it is. Sad. I emailed my professors after the semester last year and said, thanks for a great semester. Like, learned a lot. Not five teachers in an email because they were all in one class. Not one of them answered my email. I don't think they really care about the jobs. I mean, they don't really care about you. Or me, yeah, right? <laughs> now, are any of your teachers armed? They better not be. I, what do you mean? Guns con- gun save lives. Gun control kills. I fundamentally disagree with that. Well, you'd have to argue with the Center for Disease Control in Washington. Obama commissioned a study, and he found that these feel-good gun laws do nothing to stop gun violence. What you're doing, when you declare a gun-free zone, you're saying, come on in, you're not going to get shot back. If if you haven't gone through basic training or the police academy, I don't believe that you should have the right to hold a weapon, regardless of what the Pennsylvania uh, Pennsylvania Constitution says. Article 1, Section 21. I don't have to open the book. (laughs) The right of the citizens to bear arms in defense of themselves in the state shall not be questioned. Yeah, that's what... As I question it, <laughs> ironically. That, our, oh, our timer. Here, yes, sir. Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> there you go. Thank that's you That's not the much. same thing as everyone has the right to have, uh, have a firearm on them at all time on other people's personal property. Well, then it's up to the personal property. If you said if you have no guns in your house, that's fine. The criminals will love it. They're going to say, hey, there's a sign saying no guns in this house. That's going to be an easy mark for me. And, you know, and I mentioned this on previous shows, many, many of them, starting with episode four, I think it was, that John Lott, a researcher at the University of Chicago, did a nationwide county-level study, and he found that if a woman resists an attacker, she's twice as likely to be seriously injured. But if she resists with a handgun, she's half as likely to be seriously injured. And from that, I deduce that handguns are a girl's best friend. I don't feel comfortable holding a handgun. Then, and I don't feel go. comfortable with other people holding handguns who haven't been through the police academy or basic training. So here we are with the po- But maybe political- it's because I'm from New Jersey and <laughs> people don't have guns there. There's a song John Gorka does. The, the opening line is, I'm from New Jersey. I don't expect much. If the world would end tomorrow, I would adjust. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
I come at it from a very different perspective because I come from a Pennsylvania farming community and every farm has at least one rifle on it. And I still feel uncomfortable with the idea of most people having guns around me. Mm. Mm. Two women denying a best friend. There you go. Well, all the statistics go the other way. John Lott also found that the cities with the strongest gun control have the highest gun crime because the people can't defend themselves. That's, okay, now we're going to get into scientific illiteracy again because correlation does not equal causation, Ken. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's that the cities that have the highest rates of gun violence are the ones who have passed the most gun control. Uh-huh. Oh, you're, that's right. You could, it could be the other way around. Yeah. I'll tell you what, John Lott, he's, I think he's still there at the University of Chicago. And why don't you get in touch with him, and we'll have you back on to talk about it, because we are running out of time. You, you, you ladies have final comments you want to make? A website you want to send somebody to? They're looking at are each they? other like they're not too sure. Are we promoting things? You could promote whatever you like. You have another 15 seconds. There's a great organization that has been a startup on Drexel's campus. It is called Sharing Excess. E-X-C-E-S-S. And their mission is to cure food uh, food insecurity by using food waste. And they have organized the transition between the leftover foods getting to people who need them. And I would just like to promote the general concept of getting vaccines. Oh, yes. Very, very important. You know, I'm annoyed about that because I want that Lyme disease vaccine. But during the big vaccine scare, what, five, 10 years ago, they stopped making it and they, people didn't want it because nobody wanted vaccines. And I'm outside all the time. I've never gotten Lyme disease. I've been lucky. Okay, that's going to have to wrap it up, ladies, for the them portion of episode 30 of the Pennsylvania Project. Thank you for coming. My guests, Drexel University biology major Anna Egan Hess and nursing major Ariel Kamen. Thank you for appearing on the Pennsylvania Project. We're going to pause for this information, and when we return, I'm going to be ranting about something that really sticks in my craw. Yet another ill-conceived do-gooder law, Marcy's Law. The following is a commercial announcement. Hey, Ariel, how's it going? Uh, it could be better. Why? What's the matter? I just found a great job, but I can't take it. Why not? They want me to go as a 1099 contractor. So? So what's about So what about all the taxes? Federal taxes, state tax, this tax, that tax? I have better things to do than figuring out the tax laws and filling out those forms. I'm a libertarian, remember? Well, then you need Amendment 16. Hey, it's the damn 16th Amendment that got me into this predicament in the first place. No, no. Amendment 16, the invoicing service. They'll invoice your client for the hours and expenses you report to them. And when your client pays them, they pay you, minus all required state and federal taxes. It's that easy. One call does it all. And they'll even have an accountant do your personal taxes for you come April Fool's Day. I mean, come April 15th. And they take care of all the taxes? All the forms? Yep. And they can pass along certain tax breaks, too. Sounds perfect. Where do I find them? On the web, of course, at amendment16.com, with 16 spelled out. That's amendment, S-I-X-T-E-E-N dot com. One call does it all. You've been a registered libertarian for years. 
voted for libertarians even longer, and lived by libertarian principles all your life. Now it's time to take the next step and become a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Keep abreast of the march toward liberty in Pennsylvania, taking an active role in making it happen. Maybe even consider running for local political office yourself. It all starts with becoming a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. It's easy, fast, and only $20 a year. So visit lppa.org to sign up today. That's lppa.org. Do it today. A freer future is waiting. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and welcome to the me portion of episode 30 of the Pennsylvania Project, where I get to rant a bit about something that really sticks in my craw. Today's target, Marcy's Law, yet another ill-conceived do-gooder law. If you're there at the top of the show, you heard that this was triggered by a question from Steve Sheets in Langhorn, PA. He just asked one simple question. What do I think about Marcy's Law? I do. I don't know what I think. I didn't know anything about Marcy's Law. My first thought was, oh no, not another law named after a victim. As I mentioned, we did Deanna's Law in episode 22, Paul's Law in episode 18, and now Marcy's Law in episode 30. And until Steve mentioned it, I never heard about it. It's named after, you guessed it, Marcy. Marcy Nicholas, to be precise. She's a California woman who was stalked and killed by her ex-boyfriend way back in 1983. Oh, somebody needs some oil in their joints. <laughs> Not those kind of joints. Uh, that's, that's actually, I shouldn't be joking, because my heart goes out to poor Marcy and her family and friends. But as for this law, you know, let's open up the lid and look inside. The law is billed as a Crime Victims' Bill of Rights, passed in California in 2008 and eight other states so far, and now it's being proposed for Pennsylvania. And it's not just a law. It's a proposed amendment to Article One of the Pennsylvania Constitution, and it's going to be on the 2019 ballot. I have the text of the ballot initiative right here. Are you ready? Quote, Shall the Pennsylvania Constitution be amended to grant certain rights to crime victims, including to be treated with fairness, respect, and dignity, considering their safety and bail proceedings, timely notice and opportunity to take part in public proceedings, reasonable protection from the accused, right to refuse discovery requests made by the accused, restitution and return of property, proceedings free from delay, and to be informed of these rights so they can enforce them. Right off the bat, alarm bells are going off in my head. Loud, loud alarm bells. Because you see, I have this affliction Maybe it's a blessing, you tell me, depending on how it rears its noisy head. Because whenever I hear subjective words that are hard to define, off go the alarms. It served me very well when I was participating in debates when I ran for governor. Helped me counter the vague statements from candidates of the two old parties. But you know what's alarming this time? Let me, let's take this one step at a time, one clause at a time. Let's start with the, the first three concepts out of there. Quote, the right to be treated with fairness, respect, and dignity. Fairness, respect, and dignity? By what standard, as Ayn Rand would say? Fairness to whom? Respect for what? What sort of dignity? It is a fact that one person's fairness is another person's insult. One person's respect is another person's blasphemy. And one person's dignity is another person's belly laugh. How can these terms be defined, let alone enforced? And they want to put these terms in the Constitution? Sounds like a jobs program for attorneys, if you ask me. Let's look at the next three concepts in this proposed constitutional amendment. 
Safety in bail proceedings. Wait a minute. That's already law in Pennsylvania. Timely notice of public proceedings. Ditto. Reasonable protection from the accused. Double ditto. These problems have already been solved, and relatively correctly, I must add. And putting them into the Constitution is not going to change anything. So, so far, we have something unenforceable and something that's not going to change anything. But this next clause, this is a real zinger. The right to refuse discovery requests made by the accused. What? Let me see if I get that right. If you get accused of a crime, they can make discovery requests of you, but you can't make the same request of them? What happened to the fairness clause up there in number one? If person A can do something, it's no barrier that person B should be able to do it too. So this Marcy's Law, it's self-contradictory. Just the sort of thing you want in your constitution, right? Not. And the final three clauses, by the way, they're also current law. Restitution and return of property, proceedings free from delay, which they don't do, and be informed of these rights. So let me take a step back and sum it all up. Six of the provisions in there are already law. Three of them are undefinable, and one of them is unfair and contradictory. And they want to put this in our Constitution? They want me to vote for this? Count me out. Put me on record as being against, dead set against Marcy's Law. And think of it this way. Let's say it passes, and it really were in the Constitution. So what? Pardon me for being jaded, but they're not following the Constitution today. That's why we have this petition. Go sign it, by the way. It's PennsylvaniaProject.com. If they're not following it now, what makes anybody think they're going to follow it later? <laughs> Hope springs eternal. And, you know, I, I did get a chuckle out of the last line of the constitutional amendment. Quote, to be informed of those rights. Exactly how are we going to be informed? Does that mean they're going to actually start teaching the Pennsylvania Constitution? I bet you not. It's another reason to go sign our petition demanding that the Pennsylvania Constitution be taught to our kids. PennsylvaniaProject.com. Click on the petition link. It's all there. And, you know, it's not just the law. you got to look at, at who's behind this bad law. According to the League of Women Voters, nationwide, over $100 million has already been spent to pass this law, lobbying to pass this law. And we talked about lobbying, too. That's another old one. But 97%, virtually $100 million, called a round number, has been spent by one person, Marcy's brother, Henry Nicholas. What a brother. In the name of his late sister, he's out to muddy up our Constitution. I appreciate the sentiment, Henry, but it's not the sort of memorial I'd want if anything like that happened to me. Nothing like that from my siblings. <laughs> so, like it turns out, with all these named laws, it turns into an emotional issue. It's calling for more legislation, where there's already legislation on the books, like Deanna's law about the drunk drivers we talked about in episode 22. Drunk driving is already illegal. Why have another law? Sorry, Diana. Deanna. My apologies. I don't mean to rain on your legacy. I'll rain on your law, though. You know, here at the Pennsylvania Project, our motto is, more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. But this Marcy's Law is not even a correct solution, let alone solving the correct problem. But, you know, it gets worse than this. The worst part of all is that it contradicts existing clauses in the Pennsylvania Constitution. Section 25 of Article 1 says, and I quote, to guard against the transgressions of the high powers which we have delegated 
We declare that everything in this article is accepted out of the general powers of government and shall forever remain inviolate. Inviolate. In other words, there's nothing in Article 1 that the government can touch. But also in Article 1, Section 9, quote, In all criminal prosecutions, the accused has the right to demand the nature and cause of the accusations against him, to be confronted with the witnesses against him, to have compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor. What happens to Article 1, Section 9? Gone. Not anymore. No more demanding the nature and cause. No more compulsory process for obtaining witnesses. No more discovery. Not if this passes. (sighs) Gone. I guess forever came today. Bottom line, vote no on Marcy's Law. On that rights-destroying note, that's going to wrap it up for Episode 30 of the Pennsylvania Project. If you have something to say, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com, right after you sign our petition, that is. And you can hear us there, too, as well as on iTunes and other popular podcast providers. Today's today's episode is courtesy of Amendment 16 Limited, recorded live at the studios of WWDB Radio, broadcasting at 10 a.m. every Saturday and 8.60 a.m. in Philadelphia. And released as a podcast every Tuesday at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Our webmaster, Stephen Worley, marketing guru, Connor Dragotis, featured Toastmaster narrator, Liam Cummings, featured Toastmaster co-cohorts, Anna Egan Hess and Ariel Kamen, keyboard wizard you hear in the background, Joe the Pag, radio producer, not Brett Kronberg, Brett's on vacation, executive producer, Mark Pazako, and me, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. Thanks for joining us, and remember, more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem.